I'd like you to open to Psalms chapter 58. Psalms 58 and the first five verses. On my little vacation foray this week in the several discussions that Brother Guthrie and I had driving down the road, uh, you know, people can say something that triggers a thought and you get to thinking about things. So in the lull, the conversation, I was thinking about something just that popped in my mind and it had to do with self. And I thought, you know, there's been a lot of sermons on self, a lot of talk about self and crucifying self, and we've heard a lot of that in the church. But then there was a new word that was added to this that I want to make as the title of my sermon this morning. It's called the poison of self. The poison of self. And it is a deadly poison. Many people have been injected with a lot of it, and I don't know how a lot of people will ever get rid of it because there's only one way to get rid of the poison of self, only one prescribed way. But I begin to thinking about in my mind before I got the title of all the examples that I have seen of self in so many people, selfish people or self-serving people or self, 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 self in people and how it has corrupted them and made them in some ways uncomfortable to be around or arrogant or proud or cocky or kind of people you can't get to know or, or people you can't deal with. Or you see them in rock concerts or church buildings. It's people that are difficult because they promote who they are and they want that to be promoted wherever they are. And it's a deadly thing because it keeps God from bringing into your life that grace and peace and joy that he promises. It's a real deterrent to spiritual things. It's called self. And I want to talk this morning about the poison of self. Let's begin in Psalm 58. Let's read the first five verses. Do you indeed speak righteousness, O congregation? Do you judge uprightly, O you sons of men? Yea, in heart you work wickedness. You weigh the violence of the earth with your hands, or your hands deal out violence, or your hands are full of cruel things in the earth. Notice verse 3. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. Now, you want to remember this verse because we'll refer to it or in principle refer to it after a while, that the estranged speak lies from the womb. You're not born okay. You're born not okay. And your not okayness, is that a word? And your not okayness begins to be evident the older you get and the more you speak and the more you talk and the words you say begins to describe what really is inside of you, in the heart, he says there in verse 2. So the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. And notice verse 4, their poison is like the poison of a serpent. They are like the deaf adder that stoppeth her ears, which will not hearken to the voice of charmers, charming, and so forth. You know what snake charmers do. They control the snake. But there is a kind of a attitude, there's a kind of a character that is settled in the people that is not teachable or persuasible. They can do things with their heart and make it appear they're okay, but on the inside, as Jesus said about the Pharisees, outwardly you appear righteous unto men. You sing the right songs and you do all the right things that you should do as a spiritual person. But on the inside, there's nothing spiritual except a dark spirit. You do a lot of wrong things, but you confess your right things. But he said, they go about speaking lies, and he said, they're poison. And I think, what is meant here by poison? What is meant by poison? Is it not the representation and the presentation of yourself to other people, which presentation has a corrupting influence on other people? Something in me is corrupting you, or something in you is corrupting me. 
It's poisoning me. There's a kind of venom that comes in that, well, it give you a definition, a good English definition of poison. It's an agent or a substance that when injected into tissue or to something causes death or impairment or injury, and it usually kills and destroys. That's what poison does. Is it possible that a human being living and walking in this world is being destroyed as he lives or she lives? That the corruption is just continuing to gain ground in a person's life until they're no longer fit for heaven or that they're no longer useful in any way to God. Is there such a thing as God giving up on somebody? There is. God gave them up to their vile passions, he said once. It's a terrible poison. And yet most people don't recognize it. Because we're so used to the way people are and the way we are and the fits and the moods and the attitudes. And we see it everywhere on the TV. We see it with popular people. We see athletes walking around with a bad attitude. Look at me, I'm somebody. And we see that so much that people emulate that. They think that's the way you're supposed to be. And they're being poisoned by it. Because everything about that is anti-God. Nothing of that is promoted by the Lord. God must judge all of that. Now, it is for us to give heed to what God is saying so that we don't get caught up in this thing and accept stuff that's going on like, well, that's just the way life is. But something that destroys or something that is harmful is what poison is. Now, let me give you a spiritual definition of poison. Spiritually, poison is that influence which, when introduced into the life, causes decay, impairment, moral corruption, and finally, judgment. Do you all believe that God must judge wrong? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is obligated to judge sin? Do you believe that God ever turns his head when we allow ourselves to do wrong, talk wrong, think wrong, or act wrong? Do you think he turns his head and says, well, they can't help it? Do you think he does that? Or do you think God is a righteous God who must judge unrighteousness? He is. Now, don't y'all respond to me this morning because I think I'm doing all right. But God has to judge sin. If we're being influenced to do things and thinking, it's not so bad. We're, you know, it's not that bad. Next thing you know, it gets worse and it gets worse and it gets worse. It's like poison. It begins to seep into your system. It begins to impair you spiritually to where things once were so clear and so easy to receive. Now, you know, I don't know about that. Eh, well, you know, that's his idea. Well, uh, you know, come on now. That's too nice. That's too, ah. Uh. And you start talking that way because of the effect of poison. Self doesn't want to die. Intelligent people don't want to admit they're not altogether intelligent. People who want to impress other people with themselves do their very best to make you think more highly of somebody than you ought to. Because that's self. That's what it does. You can't say, well, I don't know. Because you're supposed to know. Don't people look up to you as some great one? Aren't you supposed to know? And you get to the place where you're not even real anymore. You're being a hypocrite. You're living a life that's not even honest. Because that's what poison does in a person. It impairs the judgment. And it, it just subdues a life. It takes away all the realness of what it should be. And you become something that God must judge. Now, I want to write on the board here because the second definition is about self. The poison of self. Poison being this ingredient that corrupts. Well, self is you, me, myself. We look in a dictionary to define self. It just says, me. I'm what's corrupted. I'm what the devil's after. It's self. It's me. It's simply what I am. Now, let me draw something on the board here to make this as clear as I can. We'll use a square here, and we'll put in here self, me. When God made Adam, he formed him out of the dust. He wasn't Adam yet. He was just a figure. When God breathed into Adam, what does the Bible say resulted? Adam became a living 
soul. So we'll put here soul. A soul is a me. I'm a soul. Now, my soul is designed by God the way I am made up. I'm made up spirit, soul, and body. And the way I am made by the Lord, I am to be influenced by one of two influences. Soul in and of itself does nothing. It simply responds. Sometimes this soul and self, these words interact, the word with life, same word in the New Testament, and you'll find the word heart. As a man thinketh in his heart, well, the Hebrew word is soul. As a man thinketh in his heart or within himself, so he is. And sometimes the word refers to the intellect, or it can refer to the mind, though it's not the Greek word for the mind. It implies the mind, as a man thinketh in his heart. Well, the heart thinks. It's a bunch of words that describe the same thing. So I am a living soul. I have a will. And this part of me that's called my soul is what makes me willing to be influenced. Now, there's two influences in this world, and there's only two. You know what they are, God and the devil, good and bad, you want to call it that. Turn to 1 John 2 and look at verse 16. One influence is the influence of the world. I look at the world. I can see it. I hear the world. I listen to it. I live in the world. I'm a part of it. I order so much of my life after what the world gives me, the way I dress, to be accepted, to be cool, or if I'm insecure enough to dress like a freak of nature so that I'll be noticed and at least I have attention, or to dress in some indecent way so that you can say to the goody two-shoes in society, hey, this is in your face. That's why you dress with your pants down showing people your shorts. It's an in-your-face corruption of a character. Because God never made anybody to act like that. Nobody was ever made or led by the Lord to look like that, dress like that, or act like it. Nobody. That's not God. So where did it come from? Well, it came from uh, influence other than God. It came from the world. Now, I'm sure you're familiar with 1 John chapter 2. And verse 16, let's read it. He says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, let me ask you a question because I want you to be with me in this sermon. Is there a lot of lust, fleshly lust today? Don't ask me all at once because, you know, I don't want you shouting me down, but is there not in this world as we live right now a great emphasis on lust? Get it, have it, do it, be there, try it. You dress for lust. You act for lust. The advertisements are all about lust. What product can you sell without some shapely dame on there to incite lust? It's the world. It's the way the world works. It works that way because of this. There is one thing about you that the devil can attack and only one thing, and that's your soul. The only way the devil can get into your life and corrupt you is through the soul because that's where your will is. We all have a will. We all live by choices. We make choices all the time. What you eat, what you drink, where you go, how you act, who you're with, who you avoid. It's a choice. Now, we make choices sometimes because the world gives us a choice. We want to be like the world. We want to act like the world. We want to look like the world. And we buy that smelly stuff so we'll smell like the world. Everything is about the world. It appeals to one thing. It appeals to the baser nature of a man. It's his soul or his flesh. And it gives him something to think about. And yet here's what the Bible says about that. He says, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. Listen to me. Isn't that why there's a lot of unnecessary debt? Isn't it greed and lust? Somebody else got it. Doesn't cost them much. Why shouldn't I have it? Well, you can't afford it. Hey, 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 what's the bottom line? I can't afford it. There is a kind of spirit today, 
a greed spirit, a lust, and I want it now spirit that causes people to spend money they don't have. They act like the government. And you're spending money you don't have because you're made to think, because the world has trained you to think that way. Why shouldn't I have it? Hey. And there's little restraint. Very little, as the Bible teaches, self-control, because self is out of control. And it's poisoning people's lives, it's poisoning families, it's poisoning marriages, it's poisoning the educational system, it's poisoning the whole world. The whole world lies in darkness. And you can see seething in all of this darkness is this lust to have and to get and to do and to be. Because he mentions it, thirdly, the pride of life. And he ends that verse with saying this, none of these things, none of these things are of the Father but are of the world. So all of this stuff that you see that appeals to the corrupting of you, the corrupting of self, comes from the devil. That's one influence. Now, the only other influence there is, is God. And yet, when a man goes astray, he is estranged from God at the womb. He becomes, as the Bible teaches, dead in trespasses and sin. Now, if this part of your life is dead, if the spiritual part of your life is dead, then what are you? You're a living dead person. You're dead. Aren't you dead in trespasses and sins? You are. You can do absolutely nothing about this. You can get convicted because you made a mistake last night. You messed up. You shouldn't have done it. Boy, you did. You messed up big time. That was terrible. And so you feel bad because you're made to have feelings. You have a mind. You have emotions. You feel bad about that. What am I going to do? Well, go to church. Go to church and ask God to forgive you or something, and maybe he will, and perhaps you can get this thing better off or quit drinking or Man, you got to do something. So a man without God can feel bad about what he did and what he's doing. But he can't stop doing it. Because the first time he has a bad day, what happens? He gets down, and here comes the devil. Well, you had more fun the other way than you're having now. Look at what you're missing. Look at all the stuff out there. He appeals to self. Go after it, man. Get after it. Give up this other thing. Look, look, you're not having fun anymore with all this Christian stuff and all these restrictions and restraints and, and you don't do this, you can't do that, and you got to go to church. Man, that's, you know, come on. Where do you think that kind of an influence comes from? It comes from the devil. It's something that the devil does. Why? So he can control and promote himself in your life until you become really a dead person living for the devil. You're serving the devil. Romans 6 says so. Whoever you obey is whom you're a servant of. But you don't know that, and you come to church and somebody tells you that, and then you get offended. What kind of church is this? He told me that I'm of the devil. We all were. We all were. Our master one time was the devil until Jesus rescued us. And when he introduced us to him by teaching in the word, we were offended at that because our mind had been so trashed by the devil that it's hard for us to let this light shine in. If you've been born again, if you've been made a new creature in Christ, and this part right here has become alive, it was dead at one time, but now it's alive. There's something in you that came from heaven itself living in here. You are a new creature. You will change, and you will walk the right way. And if you don't, you have not been born again. We have allowed ourselves to think that everybody that goes to church, smiles, dresses up, and looks good is born again. That's not true. The evidence is in the life. It comes right down to the choices that you're willing to make. God said, this is the way walk ye in it. All this fun over here you think you're having has to die. You've got to get rid of it because God's going to judge it. So what are you going to do with it? All your buddies are going to come around and talk you out of it. Oh, come on, man. Come on, sister. Hey, let's lighten up. You're all right. Everybody's going to heaven. And next thing you know, if you listen to that kind of corruption, it'll corrupt you. 
and that poison comes seeping back into your system and you lose it. It's as easy as standing here this morning. It's that easy to be corrupted by things in this world, people in this world, the choices you make. But look at what God said. Turn to Romans 8. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of God, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now, this is what the Lord says. In Romans chapter 8, about what God does. And then you can check yourself out. Romans chapter 8, and let's look at verse 5. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. Now, do you see the choice there? You could either mind, give heed to, pay attention to, choose the things of the flesh, or you can choose the things of the Spirit. How many of you know that if you choose one, the other has to go? You can't serve two masters. You serve one or the other. Now, if you serve the flesh, you can't serve God. If you serve God, you won't serve the flesh. The poison goes out. Let me read it again. They that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. It's in their speech, their actions, their habits, their character, their attitude, it's flesh. But they go to church, I don't care where they go, they are of the flesh. The judgment is not based on feelings, the judgment is based on observation, amen? If a man goes into a motel room with somebody else's wife, I can look at him and say, you are an adulterer. Am I being judgmental? I am. Am I judging righteously? John 4, I am. I look at your life, I watch your life, I don't know about your private life. I look at your life and I watch you live. I've been standing in this place for 29 years. I've watched a lot of people, watched your parents. Now I'm watching you. We're all getting a little older and we're growing every day and we're making decisions every day and we're all developing and exhibiting who we are every day and we watch. And so we begin to make judgments. Well, you know, they talk a good game, but they don't live a very good game. I don't see much evidence of Christ in her life. How do you get that way following Christ? How do you do that? Jesus lead us like that? No. Well, he said here, if you're of the flesh, this is what happens to you. Verse 6, for to be carnally minded is death. Does your Bible say that? But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now, here it is. Here we go. This is where your mind is, and it's your choice. It's all up to what you choose. You can choose to mind the things of the flesh and be carnal. Carnal is a word for flesh. S-A-R-X, it means flesh. Not only physical flesh, but in nature, spiritually speaking, a fleshly, carnal, worldly person. It's a choice you make. You can either be fleshly or you can be spiritual. But to be carnally minded is death. I don't care where you go to church, who you listen to. If you're carnally minded, you're a living dead person. Or you can deal with it, let conviction have its way, deal with it, and become spiritual. Spiritually minded. It's up to you. You can do that. Goes on. Verse 7. Because a carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Does your Bible say that? All right, that's what mine says. Verse 9, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit if. If so be that the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Does the Spirit of God dwell in you? All right now, there's got to be evidence, doesn't there? There has to be a way to know this. You say, well, I speak in tongues. Well, that's good. A lot of people do that. But is there evidence in your life that the Spirit of God is the leader and the winner and the conqueror and the one who subdues and leads you? Is it? Spirit of God. We have to know that. 
Here's what happens. When poison is coming into your life or has been coming into your life and is beginning to evidence itself, you get to the place where you get confused. You no longer know what's right or wrong. That's one of the effects of poison. You can hear the message and you can't decide what's right or wrong. Made too many bad turns, too many bad choices. Now you want to get out of that and God can get you out of that. But you're going to have to fight. Is that still in the Bible? Fight? Listen to me. Once the devil has got a hold of you at some point in your life and trained you to do wicked, vile things, you can get released from it, but he'll never quit attacking you. Your life is going to be a fight the rest of your life. But it's worth it. Because at the end of this road, whenever it ends, it's heaven. In favor with the Lord. Look at verse 13. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. Does your Bible say that? If you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. What if you don't? Now, we'll get to this later on in the message. One of the things that is required of us is to crucify the flesh. That's to mortify, put it to death. If you don't do that, you will die. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now, that's what the Bible says. So we look at this thing about the Spirit, about self, and about the world. And we realize this, that all men in this world are corrupted. Doesn't the Bible say there is none righteous? All we like sheep have gone astray. All of our convictions and saw, man, I got to change. I got to try better. Man, I'm messing up my life. He said, all your works are as what? Filthy rags. You cannot change your life. You can feel bad about it, grieve over it, and commit suicide, but you can't change it. You cannot change your life to where you are what God wants. The only way it can happen is by first renewal. Something from heaven has to come into your life. There has to be a dramatic moment in your life in which heaven invades, like the, well, the antidote comes from heaven and invades your life bringing the promise of total deliverance and release from every vile thing that God has to judge. Every sin you've ever committed, all the corruption that has been in your life, God is willing to forgive you of all of it as though you never did one thing. But here's the deal. When he comes in, when Christ comes, you're no longer a selfish person because you have now been bought with a Christ, you are no longer your own. You now belong to God. God has a right to require you to live on his terms. Now, somebody may teach you in some corrupting religious message that God wouldn't require you to just be a, a holy person, but he does because he can make you holy. Everything it needs for you to be turned around and to be delivered totally from all that corruption in the world, God can give that to you, and he does when he comes. If a man is born again, what is he? He is a new creature in Christ. Now, what's passed away? All this stuff over here that was in your ledger of... When it comes to judgment, here's the ledger. Okay, Hamilton, whoa, look at the sin in your life. You depart from me. Now, God says, I want to spare him. I want to save him. So here's what happens. One day, somewhere, someplace, that moment comes in which you cry out for mercy. God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. And he does. You can't fully describe that. It's just like the wind blowing. You know where it comes from or where it goes, but he does it. And something happened on the inside, which you can't write it down and explain it. You just know that I'm different. You haven't had a chance to prove it yet, but you know you are. And you're compelled to begin living like you are. And everything in you that's been all that poison, all the effects of that poison, it wants to stay. But something new has happened. A new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold... All things become new. Where there was once confusion, now there is interest. 
Yes, preacher. Time I preached. Don't quit preaching yet. Preach longer. Give me more. It's no longer just sitting there and say, how much longer is he going to talk? Man, I'm hungry. Something happens to your nature. You're different. There's only one thing in life now that brings any kind of true, deep, honest satisfaction, and that's God and what God does. And nothing greater I can think of that God will ever do than to open your eyes to see truth because truth is an antidote to the poison of this world. It's how you get rid of it. It's how you mortify the deeds of your flesh. And you become this new creature in Christ. It is now you being willing to respond to God. And the devil never quits tugging. Temptations never stop coming. There's never a time that the devil doesn't try to get you back. Always pointing out your weaknesses and your flaws. You're not worthy. You're not good enough. Look at you. Look how bad you've done. Look how many sins you committed in your past. I've had that stuff thrown at me so many times. The first time I ever spoke in a church was on Layman's Sunday, about a year after I got saved in a Christian church. And up there speaking, looked out that morning because it had been announced. A couple of old girlfriends were there. And I'm doing good, and I look out, and I see one, and I go, oh, no. Then your flesh, all the vile things you used to be, they remember. And how now can you stand here and act like that's not there anymore? Oh, but you have to fight it. Why wouldn't the devil do that? Why wouldn't he give you a flashback? Why wouldn't he tell you you're weak and you can't handle it? That's poison. Why wouldn't he introduce poison into you that says you're weak and you can't? And it's impossible. Well, you are in a sense, but God makes everything possible. He's your strength. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. A spiritual definition of this thing right here called self is that part of my character which has been corrupted and God must judge unless it's crucified. I must crucify my flesh. Would you turn to Matthew 16? Because if I don't, well, like he said in Romans chapter 8, you'll die. Well, isn't that kind of narrow? It is narrow. How narrow was the cross of Christ? How narrow was the price of your redemption? I wish for a moment or two we could have been there. Just to watch him being drugged down through that little, I was there not long ago, that little narrow way called the Via Della Rosa. It's not very wide, it's a little street. And the throngs of people yelling and shouting and spitting on him and fraud. Like Isaiah said, we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God. Anybody that would say he was God deserves that. That's what people said. He's a fraud. Son of God. Now look at him. He's going on the cross. He's bloody beaten. They've been smacking him in the face, pulled his hair out, got a thorn on his head. I saw some of those thorns over there too. They're about that long. And you can imagine taking a, a staff, you know, a reed, and taking that reed and smacking somebody over the head with that thing with the crown with thorns on his head, and they go down your skull. They just go back into your skull. I cannot imagine the kind of pain and torment. Plus, you're bleeding. Your back has been beaten with 39 stripes. And every time if that cross moves on your back and hits one of those open places that was beat, I mean, you can only try to imagine the agony of it. What if we had been there watching all of this? Would we have jumped in to stop it? Well, no, you wouldn't jump in to stop it. You want it to go through and finish. You hate to see somebody die, but you want this guy to die. Because this is the son of God. His death equals your redemption. And the effect of that is supposed to be that anybody that would pay such a price for me in my trespasses and my sins, how dirty I really, really, really was. And for somebody to do that for me so that I, because of his death, can have his life, the life of God, shouldn't that have an effect on my consecration to God? Shouldn't there be a kind of high-level appreciation and respect and awe of God for what he did for people like me and you? 
In spite of all your trespasses and sins and your vile, ugly nights spent in some bad place, all of that stuff he's forgiven you of. Just don't go back to it. For if you live after the flesh, you're dead. God, show me what Christ did, what it was all about. Oh, Lord. Why me? Are you in Matthew 16 yet? Look at verse 23. I'm sure you're familiar with this. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Now listen at these words. For thou art an offense unto me. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. That is precisely what the devil does and precisely the reason that men are lost. And precisely the reason why church members don't have a testimony. Because they savor or they have a mind for, a leaning towards and a desire for the things of the world. And some preacher has said, well, you know, that's okay. You can do that. I mean, God ain't going to judge you for that. Well, he will. Doesn't your Bible say that? Let me read it again. Get thee behind me, Satan. Devil, you're an offense to me. For thou savorest not the things of God, but the things of the world. Savorest. It simply means to set your affection on. But it's a willing choice that you make. I want to look like that. I want to go there, have that, be that. I don't care what I have to do to get all of that. I just want to get it. If the preacher wants to use a congregation to get a bigger church, then he plays the role. You know, and you want the thing to grow, get it bigger, bigger, bigger. Some other church will hear about you and how your church has grown, and they'll want you to come to their church. And after all, the preacher's for sale. He's for sale. Don't they pay him a salary? Of course they do. Therefore, he's for sale. Bigger salary? You got me. Hey, you got Sale, you got him. Do you really think there's no flesh in all of that? What you're seeing is not what you get. You're seeing an act, a show, a hypocrite, somebody who plays the role presenting himself as something they're not because his whole goal is bigger, better, and brighter in using you to get there. And you thought you were loved. Happens all the time, but people are used to it. Itself. This preacher has been poisoned by some system, by some philosophy that kind of tells him this is okay. After all, do your best in life and get what you can. That's not God. None of that's God. Not a bit of it. That's not the way it works. But he said, if I can go on, verse 24, then Jesus turned and said to his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, that's going to cost you your whole life. But here's the deal. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Does your Bible say that? And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. And then the obvious. What is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and become a star, a major league NBA hero and leaves God out of his life except a testimony before a microphone. I just want to thank God. Do you really? It's like the announcer who just used some bad words time before and said, well, our prayers and thoughts are with you. And I'm thinking, who are you praying to? Your prayers, what prayers? Who do you pray to? Do you pray to God? You don't even know him. Nobody talks like that and knows God. God doesn't have people to talk like that. God's people don't talk like that. They just don't do that because something inside of them checkmates all of your sins, and, and you just don't do it. Oh, you may think it. I don't know how many times making a point in my life ministerially, there's been a, a bad word popped in my mind. I thought if I could just use that word, I could make this point. <laughs> but I know you can't do that. So you don't. 
Now, I have heard preachers use that word in sermons, and I thought, boy, that's a shame. They have no more regard for what is right and pure in the place of the holy, as we call it, than to talk like that. There's no excuse for that. But he said, what do you profit, any of us? Oh, you won the lottery and had $60 million. What are you going to do with it? I'm going to give money to this. What if you give money to somebody and it corrupts them and they die and lose their life because of that money? Greed's killing a lot of people. One of the worst things that could happen to you is win a lottery. What are you all looking at? <laughs> a simple walk with Jesus is a walk of riches. Because the one thing you have that you cannot buy is peace. Peace and joy. The kingdom of God is not meat or drink. It is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. A simple life where everything that you have in your life is determined by how God leads you and influences you. He leads some people in the business world to do that. He leads some people in the church world to do this. But if we're all led by the Spirit, we're all the sons of God, accomplishing his purposes in various ways in various places. We're not all the same, but we're all going to the same place if we're Christian. So the question is, in verse 24, after he talked about savers not the things that be of God, he said, there's three things you got to do. You have to deny yourself. If you're going to come after Jesus, you can't go with the world. You can't bring the world with you. You can't serve two masters. You got to let go of the world. You got to deny yourself. The word deny means to deny utterly. It means to abandon Listen to me. How can you abandon what you don't know? How can you deny yourself if you really, in your life this morning, if you don't have a working understanding of what is meant by self? Self can hide itself behind good ideas and lofty philosophies and thoughts and opinions. And, oh, you're all right. You never deny what it does how you can be rude and indifferent and unkind, unclean, porno, sex, wrong things you look at, the lust of your eyes. That's self. And you do that while you're in a church context. It's how the world works, and it's how easy it is to fall prey to that stuff and eventually lose interest in God. Except when God comes in and he lays claim to your life. Let me tell you something. When God comes in and grabs a hold of a life and it's his, a life that he's going to save, he's going to save it. Philippians 1, 6, he that hath begun a good work in you, what will he do? He'll complete it. Or don't I have anything to do with it? Of course you do. And he'll lead you to where you make the right decision so that when it's over, he'll say to you, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You're going to be faithful. I would be very concerned this morning. I challenge myself, and I do. God knows I do. If my life is not lining up the way it should, I'd be real concerned this morning. Didn't Paul write one time to judge yourself, to see whether or not you're in the faith? 2 Corinthians 13, 5, judge yourself. Now, we're good at judging everybody else because that's what the flesh does. Do we ever judge other people? Look at her. She thinks she's so cute. Her figure's not half as good as mine. You're fleshly. You're fleshly. Well, look at those shoes. Look at that. Those colors don't even match. Look at that belt. That's a gold buckle instead of a silver buckle. What's the matter with him? You're in the flesh. You're trying to appeal to people instead of God. How hard it is, how hard it is to be the opposite of fleshly, and that's humble. How hard it is sometimes just to say, I don't know. I think I've learned that recently. I just begin to check myself every time something would come up, a question was asked, what's that growing out there? Oh, that's probably blah, 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 blah. Then I'd stop talking, and then my mind would say, how do you know what that is? Well, I really don't. Then why are you saying that's what it is? You don't know what it is. If somebody asked me something, I'd just say, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Do you know anything? I don't know. How hard it is to be honest. How hard it is to be yourself. Just 
a Christian person walking with the Lord. How hard it is not to try to interrupt a conversation to correct everybody. How hard it is. How your flesh wants to be shown and seen and to impress people. How hard it is not to do that. But yet there's something about God and meekness and humility which puts you in the shadows. Better to be seen and not heard. To put a watch before your mouth and guard the door of your lips, lest you sin against God by speaking things you know nothing of. How hard it is for us to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and say that God and his word are right and I'm wrong. How hard it is to admit that we have made mistakes. I shouldn't have done it. I shouldn't have gone there. I shouldn't have said that. How hard it is for us to admit that we're not where we ought to be doing what we should be doing or saying what we ought to be saying or whatever it is. Because that's to admit wrong. And yet you can never be right until you admit you're wrong. Humble. Meekness. Blessed are the meek. For the meek shall what? Be beat up. No. Blessed are those that are humble. Blessed are those that are meek. Blessed are those who esteem others as better than themselves. That's the Christian way. Well, how's anybody going to know I'm cool if I do that? Who told you to be cool? Who told you to impress other people? Who told you that you're supposed to be somebody? Who told you that you're supposed to present yourself and promote you? Who told you that? Actually, I think verse 24 says just the opposite of that. You deny yourself. Doesn't it say that? You deny yourself. Isn't that what Peter did to Jesus? Didn't Peter deny knowing him? Who's, I don't know who he is. even used profanity. Cursed. I'll tell you another way where this word deny is used. Very serious way. Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my father. If you set me aside in your life and you're unwilling to be my way about it, do it my way, then I will profess before the father, I never knew you. That's bad. So it is better to humble yourself, undo yourself from self, and say, I am a corrupted, messed up individual. My brain has been trained at this time. In like 28 years, I have learned to be what everybody wants me to be, and I have obviously been miserable and uncertain and insecure and all of that. That's the effect of that poison. And he comes along in Romans chapter 12, and he says, Present yourself as a living sacrifice unto God. And he goes in verse 2 of Romans 12, and he says, And be not fashioned according to this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what the will of God is in your life and no longer live in uncertainty. It's a choice you've got to make. You've got to come to that place where that's what you want to do. Now, the problem is, if you don't want to do that, then you've got to read 2 Corinthians 13, 5 again and challenge yourself, am I really in the faith? I've learned its ways. I know the routine, the songs, the testimonies, and shake a hand and say this and go home. I know all of that. But when it comes right down to what's in my heart, am I a Psalm 58 man? Wickedness is in my heart because I live wrong. Or am I sincere, honest, and humble before God saying he's altogether right, I'm altogether wrong? Where am I with all of this? Where indeed am I? And then he said, not only do you deny yourself, but you have to take up what? As far as I can tell, that's the only remedy for self. All the poison that's been flowing in our systems that's corrupted us morally and spiritually goes out in one way, and that's the cross. So you've got to take up your cross daily. A cross had one purpose. In the natural world, the cross had one purpose. It was to make a man die hard. Die hard. Hang there, no relief, pain. And then before the sun goes down, they kill you if you're not dead. Everybody turns and goes home like that. 
The cross is an agonizing thing, but spiritually, Jesus says, you're going to have to admit that you got a lot of trouble in your life that's got to go because that trouble is going to prevent me from being Lord in your life. Now, here's what we do. You take this cross, this spiritual thing, this cross, and every time you reach a crossroads in your life where you're confronted with a bad decision versus what you know is a right decision, you crucify your flesh with its affections and its lust thereof. Isn't that still in the Bible? You crucify your flesh. Nobody can do this for you. Nobody can make you do it. It's got to be an act of your will. You must be willing to die to your sins and your temptations. You must over, and the word overcome still in the Bible, you must be willing to overcome. And if you overcome, you'll make it. But you've got to be willing to overcome. An overcomer has a cross. A Christian will overcome because a Christian has a cross. They are aware that the cross are those difficult decisions to say no to poison and yes to God and go through whatever you go through in resisting the devil. But if you resist the devil, what does the Bible say? He will flee from you. If you want to be free and you want to have peace and joy with the Lord and not struggle the rest of your life, you got to go to a cross. You have a cross in your life. And the third thing he said you have to do is follow. That's the evidence. Talk cross talk all you want to. Sing about the cross. They're on a hill far away. Sing it all you want to. Talk about the cross. Preach about it, preacher, all you want to. But the evidence is in the action. That's following. Following Jesus. This is the way... Walk ye in it. If he said this is the way, that's the way you go. It's a choice I make that nobody else can make, and based on the choices I make, I will stand before God guilty or liberated. It's up to me. You see, it's easy to go astray. It's natural to give in to the temptations of the world. It's natural to give in to lust because everything in your natural body craves stuff, whether it's sex, drugs, food, attention. Notice, look at me. There's something so natural about that. And God comes in and he says, when you're like that, I can't use you. Folks, I believe we're living at a time of the end in which at least a whole generation of people is trying their best to act like fools. They are presented with fools in this world. They emulate fools, foolish people. You go to the, a rock concert and you see people act like fools. And even you kids that listen to that stuff, you know it. You know it. And an uh, Aged fellow like myself doesn't have to tell you that you know it's true. They act unnatural. They sing vulgar stuff. They sing nasty things. And the effect of that music and all that stuff makes body go crazy and you do all that stuff. And then when you start doing that, you do other things that corrupt your body and your morals. And you do that enough, you sear your conscience so you don't even know what's right or wrong anymore. You ever seen a drug addict who's about 45 years old, been doing drugs since he was 20? He looks like he's 80. He gave up his whole life, and he'll die way before his time because of his flesh, and he was poisoned by something. And God offers relief to all of us, relief. And it can be changed. It can be dealt with. It all depends on whether or not you want to follow the Lord because he said, if you want to be his disciple, you want to follow him, you got to deny yourself. You got to take up your cross and you got to follow him. And if you can't do that, it's because you don't want to, because you can. So much of this is where we are right now. It's like having your pulse on the current problem in the world and in the church. It's flesh. We just can't give up our worldly appetites and our worldly ways and all the foolishness and the ignorance and the poison that comes in with it. But you've got to. You've got to.
You must. You have to put your hands on the plow. Once you do, you can't look back. You can't turn back. God has no pleasure in that. You have got to say this is a way God would never lead me astray, and I am going this way. You got to do that. The next time I want to show you some examples. Boy, there's so many examples of self Self-will, self-sufficient, self-serving, self-seeking, self-confidence, self-pity, self-centered, self-interest. Everything God must judge is what typifies so many people in this world. And yet it's promoted by the books of the millionaires and the well-to-do and the prosperity people. They promote this very thing. Be what you can be. Doesn't the army say, be all that you can be? There's nothing wrong with that in the right sense. But you say, I am going to make myself, and I, I don't need help from nobody, then you've got a problem, brother. Because I'm not sure God wants you to act like that. I'm not sure that's your way in life. Somebody told you it was, and therefore you want it, because of the image that's projected out there when you get there, man, you're bad. I don't think God wants you to be bad. Now, you've been awful quiet this morning, but maybe you're thinking, Maybe you're willing to challenge yourself this morning and give a lot of thought to just where you are. After all these years you've been here, growing up here, visiting here, after all this time you're sitting here, am I really in the faith? Do I have a heart for God? If I'm not sure, I need to deal with it. And if you are, then humble yourself and just say, thank you, Lord, for bringing me this far. Make me, Lord, that I may be accounted worthy to enter in on the day that it comes to an end. Bow your head with me for a minute. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, help us this morning and in our lives to see ourselves as we truly are, that we had nothing to bring to you, nothing in us that was desirable, not our talents, not our abilities, not our successes and weaknesses. We came to you because you brought us to you. And there was no other way to get there. Now here we sit this morning. Here we are. Perhaps everybody here confesses, oh, I'm all right. I go to church. I'm a Christian. Now help us, God, to make sure we are. To make real sure. We can never be steadfast and immovable if we're not sure. We can never think and do right if the mind of Christ isn't functioning in us. As Paul wrote, let this mind be in you. We can't say we're going to heaven, Lord, if our hands aren't on that plow and if, if we don't see some things working for us. You said only a few are going to make it. I pray this room is full of those few and that you will never leave us alone in this life and never let us go astray. But like a good shepherd with a crook, that you would come and snatch us out of the dangers of this world. That you would open our eyes and convict us of sins and sinfulness and sinful desires. And help us to live right. Help us to live right. Now may this blessing be upon all of us here. Those that are here that have never been born again. I pray that you'll convict them and bring them to a place of repentance. And you'll deal with their hearts. For those of us that have striving to enter into that narrow gate, Lord, that you keep us humble and deepen in us an appreciation for what Jesus did for us and how really blessed and privileged we are to be your people. We give you thanks for Jesus, and we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Who loved me and gave himself for me, yes, he who loved me and gave himself for me.
loved me and gave himself for me. Yes, he did. Who loved me?